Hey, this is Heath Padgett, and welcome to the RV Entrepreneur Podcast, episode 15. Today, I'm recording the show in Austin, Texas. Austin's where Alyssa and I went to college, and we've been back here for short intervals of time since we started full-time traveling. We get a nice refill of Mexican food, tacos, the works, and we get to see some old friends. And as soon as it starts getting hot, we get the heck out of here. The past couple of days have actually been a great reminder for why we decided to leave in the first place. This week in Austin, Uber and Lyft, the ride-sharing companies, pulled their services out of Austin. And I decided it'd be cool to do a short documentary project with some friends covering what happens when you lose over 10,000 jobs and drivers all in one week in one city. What kind of effect would that have on Austin? And that was on Sunday. We were just hanging out and I threw the idea out there to my buddy James. And he said, that sounds like that sounds like really cool. Let's do that. And so starting on Sunday evening, we've been running around Austin with some cameras filming Uber and Lyft drivers and lining up interviews. And then yesterday we interviewed a couple city council members who were really influential in the decision making process for this issue. And it was cool to have the bandwidth to be able to go and do that. But most of our time this week has been spent in my best friend James studio in downtown Austin in a place called Capital Factory. It's a co-working space for tech startups. It's a really cool and hip place with kegs of beer, ping pong tables, food, coffee, really literally anything that you could possibly want or need they have there. Uh, but there's something about being there that's that's been really draining for me this week. It's It's hard to explain but when you work there, it promotes this attitude of keeping your head down all day, exhausting your body to the point of needing to drink multiple Red Bulls all the time. It's crazy. I've gotten used to sitting in the RV and working alongside Alyssa during the day. Uh, we take multiple breaks, get outside the RV, get some fresh air. We go kayaking. We go on walks. When I get exhausted uh, you know, while working in the RV, I just take a break and then come back to finish my work when I've rested up a little. Inside the tech scene and the co-working space and all these other companies where I used to be a few years ago, there's this unwritten rule that says you need to be busy all the time if you want to be successful. And if you don't look busy, then you should just act that way because that's what everybody else is doing. And while working up at the studio this week, I thought to myself, okay, if I was here in Austin and if I started a tech company and worked my butt off for five to seven years all night, you know, working all nighters, working 60 hours a week until I sold the company or something like that, the works, what would I do once I sold it? What would I be working towards? And if I'm being honest with myself, I'd probably take the money and go travel the world with Alyssa, something we've already been doing the past year, something we do now. And Working in the co-working space this week just affirms that I believe we made the right choice to pursue a different kind of lifestyle. I don't want to be knee-deep in the rat race, wearing myself out in an office seven days a week just because that's how everybody else is doing it. Instead, I'll build my own company, but I'll do it for my RV alongside my wife and while traveling all over America. I still have access to mentors, capital, technology, and everything else, and I can live a lifestyle that I choose. I don't want to look back at my life and say the route that I took was wasted Uh, because I was just trying to gain success like everyone else, chasing somebody else's definition of success. The reason I created this podcast was to prove that for the first time ever, we don't have to choose between starting a successful business, a successful company, and traveling the world. We can do both and at the same time. We can build remote teams, create products, and make an impact in the world and do it all from our RV. Okay, I'm done with my rant, guys. Thank you. On today's show, I'm interviewing a guy named Chris Badgett, who founded a company called Lifter LMS, a WordPress plugin that allows you to create online courses. And in a previous life, Chris was a dog sled musher in Alaska and then realized he wanted to be able to spend more time with his family doing the things he loved. So in today's episode, him and I talk about how we went from mushing dogs to running a 15-person company 
all while traveling in his RV. Today's episode is sponsored by a new app called Herdler. Herdler seamlessly tracks all of your income streams, expenses, and tax deductions in real time on the go, saving you time and maximizing profit in your business. This is an app that was built for freelancers and entrepreneurs, and the reason why I decided to partner up with Hurdler was because recently Alyssa and I had to file our taxes for the business we brought in during 2015, and our jaws dropped when we realized how much we owed. And after talking with a lot of our friends who are in business for themselves, we realized we missed out on a lot of potential tax deductions and opportunities, and really the whole process was incredibly stupid stressful. And then literally the next week, I found out about the Hurdler app, and I kicked myself in the butt for not finding it sooner. And we're going to go into the details of that app here in a second, but I've actually brought on the CEO of Hurdler, Raj Bhaskar. Did I pronounce that right, Raj? You got it, Heath. <laughs> to have a brief conversation <laughs> with me about his entrepreneurial experience and also about Hurdler. So thanks for being here, man. Thanks for having me, Heath. I really appreciate it. And I know that you don't live in an RV, so we're cheating here at the beginning of the podcast, but that's okay because <laughs> we're going to get into the main interview here in a second. But you do have an extensive history uh, in growing companies, being an angel investor. You sold a super successful company called Visual Homes before starting Hurdler. And I'm sure, you know, like any entrepreneur, you've had to deal with a lot of obstacles down that path. So I just wanted to chat with you for a minute about that before we talk about Hurdler. So, what would you say in the past 10 years of working on investing in companies, building your own business has been the biggest obstacle that you face personally or in business? And how did you overcome that? And what did you learn on the other side? So the biggest obstacle uh, for me, and I think for many entrepreneurs, is uh, how to continuously grow your revenue. I think uh, everything in startup and building the business from that number one problem is kind of tied to that, right? So that's kind of like, in my prior ventures, you know, that's the key metric. Um, everything kind of stems around that. If you don't have solid customer satisfaction, you're not going to be able to grow your revenue. If you don't, if you're not able to hire the right people, you're not going to be able to grow your revenue. If you don't know what your expenses are, it's going to be pretty tough to grow profitable revenue. So everything kind of stems from that. And in different businesses, like in my prior venture, um, I had a very short timeline. Uh, I was well aware of what my expenses were, so I needed to generate revenue within the first six months. Growing your revenue, I think, is key. And for many freelancers, you want to know, you know, what your revenue goals are, so you can work towards that, and and er especially early on, right? Because you're trying to build your customer base and build your business. You want to know um, what type of revenue you want, and you want to know what those numbers are, so you can really focus your activities around that. So everything you do is more value add. Right, and you you, par you parse out all the activities that aren't value add that don't directly contribute to revenue, especially early on. Absolutely, it seems like nowadays with users and you know different platforms popping up like Snapchat, whatever, you know the the strategy for several years has been get tons of users, add, try to figure out where the value prop is, whether it's through ads or whatever, and then generate revenue. Have you done something different, or have you? just kind of been centralized focused and super honed in on how do we continue to grow revenue because if we don't have that we can't be a business yeah I think uh, I think you bring up a good point around value prop and so it's, it's pretty difficult in any business to grow revenue if you don't have a strong value proposition right and your value proposition should be so strong that if you have a strong a really strong value proposition your customers or your users your followers they they will absolutely have no issue sharing some of that with you, right? So if you help your customers, if you help them profit, why, why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't they want to share a little bit of that with you? So you have to have a strong value proposition 
Um, and I think in, you know, in different businesses, whether it's growing your followers and then providing them valuable information, things like that. And I think it, it's important to, to show that and share that uh, before you even ask them for revenue to build up, uh, build up that type of uh, you know, strong brand, so to speak, um, that customers really love you. What, what were uh, you saying you should ask them? I was saying uh, I think you want to give that value prop and give them that taste and let them benefit before you ask them to pay, for example. Absolutely. Yeah. So I want to ch- chat about, I don't know what that was. There's a weird British accent coming through. <laughs> I want to talk about Hurdler and how, why did you start this app? What is the need that you saw and how are you guys working to solve it? Because it's an awesome app. Well, thanks. Uh, I really appreciate you saying that. Um, so the need is, uh, so when we look at uh, small businesses, um, and that's kind of, that's originally where we started, but we looked at um, you know who's running the small business, uh, and that's the entrepreneur. That's the and, and if we drill down on that more, there's a lot of freelancers who eventually become entrepreneurs because they were starting off uh, doing something on the side while they had a full time job, and then it started taking off because they were really providing value, um, and then they became entrepreneurs, and then ultimately some of those folks hire people. All of this kind of helps uh, all the the local economies around the country grow and. All of the finance uh, solutions out there are really geared towards uh, big companies or uh, or medium-sized companies with multiple employees, but there wasn't really anything that was helping the fast, on-the-go mobile entrepreneur. That was really um, the thing that was missing. And we wanted to build something that, you know, you mentioned obstacles early on, so that's where the name Hurdler came from, something to help you get over obstacles, right? To focus on growing your revenue, you want to focus on things that add value and all of the things that don't, all of the administrative stuff. We want that to be quick, right? Tap. We want it to be a quick tap, things that take seconds. That's something we wanted to create because that's going to help the entrepreneur focus on what they do best. Most entrepreneurs do not uh, do best at accounting. They do best at their expertise, uh, which is what they started the business for, to provide their expertise to their customers. And so I see what you're talking about, your focus, and I see how you're the perfect guy to be building Hurdler because your main focus and your main obstacle was figuring out how do you focus on the things that bring revenue, and that's what makes a good business. And with Hurdler, I can say it's inspiring. One of the things, I I use an app called ConvertKit, and it's to grow my email marketing. And the thing I love about it is that it shows metrics beautifully, and it makes something that's usually not super sexy, makes me want to get involved with it, and in turn, it helps me grow that part of my business. And for Hurdler, it does that exact same thing for finances and things that aren't sexy like tax deductions. <laughs> Nobody wants to think about this stuff, but when you can look at it in an easy-to-use format, it makes sense, and you can focus on growing that component of the business that really can help you grow. Exactly. And, you know, we use the case study of you know, taking a client out for coffee. You know, depending on where you go, that could be 8 bucks for the both of you. And a lot of folks won't track that because they say it's not worth their time because only half of it is deductible, right? But if, you, if it only takes you a second, who wouldn't want a 50% off coupon to their favorite coffee place every single time they have coffee if they only had to give up one second of their time? Absolutely. And that's the main, that's one of the main features that the app does for freelancers is that any gas that you're spending, any, when you're on the go, you can just instantly tap it. And it, does it integrate with Chase and all these major banks? It does. Okay. And it, it supports uh, thousands of local banks as well. Um, because our whole uh, idea is to just eliminate data entry. So how do we reduce everything to seconds or fractions of seconds? Because uh, you guys are on the go. 
I'm on the go. Uh, nobody has time for this. They should be focusing their time on, on growing their revenue and profits. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, we're literally always on the go. We're in an RV, and we use all we use <laughs> we use Google Docs to look at all of our revenue and the things that were you know for the past years. We have these bars, you know, from 2014, 2015. So I'm pumped to to dig into this. I'm a little bummed I didn't have it before this tax season, but I'm excited to partner up with you guys. Thank you for sponsoring this episode of the podcast, Raj, and thanks for being on the show. Thanks a lot, Heath. All right, welcome to today's show. I am interviewing Chris Badgett on the podcast, not Padgett, Badgett, B as in boy. In a past life, Chris was a professional dog sled trainer in Alaska, which sounds like the most epic job ever. And after nearly missing his daughter's birth a few years back, he realized he wanted to reprioritize his life and everything that he was doing. So he quit his job as a tour guide in Alaska, and Chris started experimenting with different income strategies, taught himself web design, amongst a few other skills. And a few years later, Chris has launched a successful company called Lifter LMS. It's a plug-in for websites that allow people to create online businesses and is traveling all over the country in an RV, of course, hence the name of this podcast, while growing his business. Chris, thanks for being on the show, man. Thanks for having me, Heath. <laughs> I have to know, how the heck did you get into being a dog musher in Alaska? That's That sounds awesome. It actually all started as an accident, and uh, I, I grew up in North Carolina where it doesn't snow that much, and I think in a subconscious level, my parents didn't let me have a dog when I was a kid, so it kind of came around full force uh, as an adult, but I, in college, I studied uh, anthropology and sustainable development. I was really into those sort of things. I had a minor in philosophy. And I was moved out to, uh, I was living in the back of my car and just climbing, rock climbing and mountaineering with friends all over the Western U.S. And ultimately, I wanted to get into grad school in Colorado for ethnographic film. Uh, and that ended up not working out. And so I said, what the heck, I'll take a job in Alaska running sled dogs up there. Um, I've always been a big outdoors person and I randomly found work as a sled dog guide in Colorado when I was based out of there for a little bit. And that's how that whole transition happened. But it's a, it's very much a windy road of just following, uh, my passion and what interested me at the time. Wow. So you were actually doing some traveling, being, living out of your car. So you're actually a much hardcore traveler, uh, or you were much more hardcore traveler back in the day. Now you have an RV with your family, so you're almost it's almost kind of more cushy now, huh? It is. Yeah, that's a, that's a good way to look at it. I mean, I've definitely literally slept in the back of my uh, car. It was in a Suzu Trooper with the back seats taken out with my dog. And then, uh, you know, when I met my wife in Alaska, uh, I saved up some money and bought 20 acres of land up there, and we put up a, a wall tent cabin, a very like lightweight cabin, small one room cabin with it. Um, I had a hand pump well drilled in to get water and that was so rugged and rough. And I'm talking temperatures down to like 34, 30 to 40 below zero. When I did that, I knew what I was getting into and I've, I have a lot of wilderness survival skills. So no problems there. And my wife is really hardcore like that too. But no matter what I experience in life, if you can make it in those kind of conditions and be happy, Everything else is cush and poshy. So we're loving our our twenty foot uh, R pod travel trailer right now. It's definitely uh, we appreciate it every day. Tell me your story on how you got to where you are right now, traveling around the country, uh, working on Lifter, li Lifter, right? Yep, Lifter, Lifter LMS. L LMS. Yeah. Tell me how you got here. Well, 
as we were talking about Alaska, as I left Alaska, I started looking for other kinds of, of work. And I worked a little bit in the real estate industry and I started teaching myself how to build websites with WordPress. And, uh, you know, I started selling websites to subdivision owners. And even Alaska, for some reason, I, to the creative expression of messing with websites and WordPress. So it was a hobby of mine. And over time, I just kept charging more and more for my websites and uh, my favorite kind of site projects to work on, <clears throat> on were membership sites and things of that nature. And I say this not to, not to brag or boast, but just to show the, the journey is I built websites for free. The first one I sold was $200. And in days, I, sometimes I sell websites with my company up to six figures. And that it, it's just a journey of just continuing to follow um, the passion of it and also to continue to grow and build a team and surround myself with people who are smart in different skill sets and that sort of thing and to really build a, a culture. And in all of that, we uh, built our, our product, Lifter LMS. LMS stands for Learning Management System. So it's a, it's a premium WordPress plugin for selling online courses. And we have customers all around the world who bought that um, and still continue to. And we, uh, we recently, in the past several months, made it free. And as a business model, we have some premium add-ons and productized services where we set everything up for people who aren't technical in nature. And that's how we make money. But we get that online course software out there uh, in a bigger way by you know, making it free. And, and we genuinely believe we're a part of democratizing education in the digital classroom. So that's what that's all about. Very cool. How many people do you have using it? Lifter LMS right now, from what we can tell on the our analytics, is there's some somewhere around two thousand people are on the platform, and uh, that's that's basically where we're at. And then we have, you know, like I've said, like some high end private clients where we've built additional software and functionality on top of that, and then our add on mo model and people who hire us to set up everything for them. And my team, in terms of like how big is the company. I have two business partners, uh, and then we have uh, about 14 independent contractors who work with us. Um, maybe two of those are full-time, two to three, uh, and then the rest are part-time or uh, on an as-needed basis. Oh, wow. So you're also managing a team of people on the road. Yes. So like every morning, we're, uh, we'd like to consider ourselves an agile development top, if, if you've heard of the agile our scrum methodology. So every morning we have a stand-up meeting. This morning I had to go four-wheeling up in the mountains to get a good signal. And then I met with my team and, uh, and you know, we kick off the day and, uh, you know, we talk about what we what we did yesterday, what we did, we're doing today, where we're blocked. And then every week uh, we kind of have a sprint planning where we plan for the next week or the next two weeks at a more big picture level. But we kind of roll in what's known as an agile fashion. Very cool. Something that you sent me a couple links about you before we jumped on the podcast, and one of them described what happened whenever you were managing the tour, the dog tour guide service up in Alaska and how you almost missed your daughter's birthday, and it caused you to reevaluate four big key areas of your life, which were time, money, relationships, and health. And you kind of started playing around with switching around priorities to see what life would look like what it what did you learn in that process when you're trying to figure out I need to figure out what's more important to me? 
Well, I think part of it, like I mentioned earlier, is I bought some land in Alaska and I was building cabins and I was hustling. Like I I wasn't born into a family of sled dog mushers. I wasn't even born in an area that gets a lot of snow. So I've always been really striving and, and charging. And, and some might call where I was at the time in the empire building phase of life. But as I was becoming a, you know, about to become a father, it wasn't about growing the career or the um, the money. I was like investing in real estate. I was working aggressively, saving aggressively, investing aggressively. And that was cool in my 20s. But as I started to get into my 30s, I just, I could tell, you know, it was it was easy for me to slip into like a workaholic mode or, and it's not, I was in excellent health because I worked outside a lot and just was very active. But I worked so hard and so often that I didn't really give myself time to recover. So I just wanted, the transition was more to like, okay, I need to get ready. I want to be present as a father. I need to be present as a husband. And while I've had great success in my career and developed as a leader and a manager, I really wanted to apply it to my own business and start building that that equity in my own entrepreneurial effort and that sort of thing. So that's and then just having the, the child coming into the life was just the catalyst to really make that shift. And how many kids do you have now? Two. Two kids. Okay. Gotcha. So you were doing something like basically working outside, pretty manual labor, and then you started getting into technology. Was that intimidating? I mean, just starting to talk to people or were you tinkering around with this kind of stuff when you were also, you know, building cabins and and whatnot? Always been outside of my comfort zone to a fault. So even like, you know, reaching out to some of the top sled dog racers in the world. and, And I mean, I even asked for the, you know, the management, the leadership position is I think that's a a strength of mine is just that I'm not intimidated by going into uncharted waters. And I'm also very humble in that I know when I do enter a new space that I have a lot to learn and I need to start at the bottom and I need to do my time and make a lot of mistakes and, and learn from others and that sort of thing. So technology was the same as getting into sled dogs. It was just it's just a different different area of focus. You talked about uh, your limiting beliefs, which I absolutely loved, man. They were awesome, which I don't know. You probably don't remember them off the top of your head, but for those of you listening, Chris was saying I had these four limiting beliefs in my life when I was transitioning to basically become an entrepreneur and get things off the ground. And Do you remember them off the top of your head? I don't. I, I could probably, I mean, I could say them, but go ahead. Yeah. So the first belief was I'm not qualified and don't have the experience to become a professional web designer. And I think I, I wanted to talk about these four beliefs because a lot of the episodes that I've recorded on this podcast has been, you know, we tried to, we get into some technical stuff, we get into some travel stuff, but then I saw these four beliefs and I was like, hey, this would be a great topic to tackle in this podcast because this is something that not a lot of people are open and vulnerable enough to just to go into and really talk about that. Hey, anytime we go out and do something new, it is scary. You know, even though Chris is bold enough to be able to call the biggest dog mushers and go learn a new skill, it's still scary and you still face these limiting beliefs. So talk to me about this first one that you weren't qualified and didn't have the experience to become a professional web developer. And how did you get through that? I, I think it's, I mean, as cliche as it sounds, it's that feel the fear and do it anyways thing. And I can share a recent story. I still deal with that limiting belief. 
So as an example, this past summer, I went down to Mexico to meet with some of the top players in the WordPress product space for a, a very intimate event and mastermind retreat, basically. And again, I'm coming back as like, who am I to go here? There's CEOs of major companies here. Um, but it was just, but I knew I wanted to do it. And I knew that I would get value and also be able to give value there. And it was one of the best experiences of of my career to go do that. And it definitely was another exponential accelerator of progress. So it's just, uh, I mean, and there were times where I was intimidated when I was there, but I just kept charging ahead. And, um, you know, once it's a little uncomfortable at first, but then things settle down and you start to reap the benefits of having, um, you know, suspended that negative belief and giving it a shot. But anyways... Yeah, I love that. the The second belief that you said you, the limiting belief you said you had was, "I'm being financially irresponsible by becoming a freelancer without guaranteed business." Talk to me about that one. I think I mean I might just be blessed because of my life path that um, I've never really had a traditional job. So uh, I've always worked seasonally. Like sled dog tourism is seasonally. Uh, I took a semester off college to hike the Appalachian Trail. So I've always just kind of been in fits and starts and doing different things. But then when you have a family on the line, and I, and there were times where I made by with very little income. But that's okay when you're alone. But when you when you have a kid, and a, and you're a spouse, you know that that limiting that belief system starts to really get focused on. And um, the reality was that. I knew that if I just put my heart into it and gave it everything I had that I could survive. And and it wasn't always easy in the beginning and and I wasn't making that much at the beginning, but it's almost like that thing as entrepreneurs where we're some sometimes we're either just really good and passionate at something or we're just unemployable. And for me <laughs> it's like a combination of both that that helped give me the confidence to move past that belief. Yeah. Wow. I love that. I mean, that's, I think that's a fear for everyone. Cause now that I'm married, I knew that I was trying to do the entrepreneur thing before Alyssa and I were even dating. And I, I was afraid of getting married almost because I was like, I think I'll work too much. And you know, that's just more pressure to be able to have to provide. It was a dumb limiting belief of my own. But the third one that you said you had was I have a family, so it's time to saddle up with a mortgage and buy a bunch of stuff. Well, one of the reasons I married my wife is she was not her name's Samantha. She's she's not a very materialistic person. So I knew we were kind of good there. Like even now as a RV entrepreneur, you know, we find wealth way more in experiences and relationships than possessions. So uh, to us, it was more important to be in the right environment, you know, where there's lots of natural beauty and it's a, you know, easy access to healthy food. My wife loves to garden and grow things, so that needed to be available. But we kind of became, we've always just been okay with the simple pleasures in life. And when you let that happen, it's just so much, in my experience, so much more rewarding than the big possessions, whether that's a house or whatever. And even uh, the past several years, we've been renting a lot of houses uh, in different parts of the world. Most recently, uh, Montana. We were in Costa Rica for a little bit. But because of the location-independent nature of our business, um, it's a totally okay trade-off that we get to have all these experiences, but yet we don't have that stamp that, okay, I'm a homeowner. So from the time that 
you started getting into the very beginning of web design and development, how long was that process before you were actually doing your own thing and making enough money to support your family that you guys could be nomadic? I would say I had about a year of struggling where I was working a lot of other odd jobs. Like I was uh, timing races, like marathons and 5Ks and things like that. I worked with in another small business doing that. I was in real estate sales. Uh, I helped out on a movie set for a little while or, or they came to town. I mean, I would take any kind of work while I was struggling. Uh, but it really took a year to hit my stride. And I started just like with sled dogs at the bottom. I started out as a freelancer. I took jobs with other web development companies as a project manager. So so were you just learning like HTML, CSS and, and basic design at this point or you were coding and working in design or... I used to think I was a developer and a designer, <laughs> but um, <laughs> what it was is, you know, I got, I'm like what you would consider a power WordPress implementer. Like I know themes, I can work with plugins, I can, I can tell good ones from bad ones. I can talk to a business owner about a business problem and then pair up sh- off the shelf technology solutions. And occasionally I'd write a little bit of code, but as time went on, you know, the jump from the 2000 to the $10,000 website, I started hiring, um, real developers who to, uh, to do the, the more technical, harder, more advanced, better looking stuff. And really my strength has always been building the team and managing the people and, and really managing the client and helping them helping figure out what needs to happen to solve that business problem with technology that's really my strength. And so once I started hiring other people to work for me, that that was when the business really started to take off. You can hire guys who really knew how to do some hardcore coding. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and design. Like I, I now know I am not a designer, but I know good design when I see it. <laughs> yeah. So. The, uh, the last limiting belief that you said you had was, I'm a family guy, so it's time to get serious with my lifestyle and become more traditional. So something like you should live near a good school system, get a secure job, and not have more wild adventures into the wilderness. <laughs> Talk to me about that. So in terms of you know going against that belief of it's time to get traditional and follow the norm, um, I've always been kind of against that, not, not for the sake of being unconventional, but just because I've, I literally have a... a if I'm doing something not because I want to, because I feel like I have to, my body literally starts to let me know, you know, I, I'll, maybe I'll start getting a little depressed or I'll feel lethargic or I'll get anxious or I just, my stomach will be uneasy. So, you know, just getting past that and knowing that it's okay to be me and I'm just going to be the husband, the dad, the, the worker, uh, that's, that meshes with who I am. You know, ultimately I just had to face that reality and just be okay with not, you know, keeping up with the Joneses. Yeah. In those 10 years of, uh, mushing dogs and training them, you didn't, you never had that feeling like this isn't what I'm supposed to be doing. No. Cause I was always so passionate about it. I will say that, um, you know, I started at the bottom as a tour guide and later when I ended up running that company and that business and I started to do much better financially, that's when the the pop culture around me or, you know, started to more respect what I was doing. So first people, I don't know that exact quote, but first they think you're crazy and laugh at you. 
and then later they come around. Whatever that quote is, I got you. That's <laughs> the, that's the story of my life. So, uh, but once I started getting paid well for it and uh, was leading a company, then the perception changed around me. I just noticed that. What do you? What, how so? You mean people just started looking at you differently than when you told them you were, you know, wishing dogs in Alaska? Yeah, when I was like owning, running a company and managing, you know, lots of people, it, it seemed to garner more respect. I didn't care and didn't feed off of that, but it was just an interesting study of, you know, how I was perceived like among more traditional friends and family. Yeah, that's interesting. Something uh, during when we were traveling and doing Hourly America a couple of years ago, year before last, and I was working all these odd jobs across the country, I got to meet a lot of people who work seasonal jobs. Like when we were up in Alaska, I got to uh, we got to stay the night on Denali, the glacier up next to Mount McKinley, which is now Denali, uh, and shadow awesome. some of the park rangers and get to hear, you know, a lot of those people that take seasonal jobs up there in Alaska. And something that I really I like about the allure of those while you're young is the fact that you can, I think it, it almost gives you this freedom to uh, explore more options and learn more about yourself in the process versus going to join one company and do the same thing for X number of years. Did you experience that you know, whenever you were bounced around from seasonal jobs? Absolutely. Yeah, it was so cool to be able to explore like that. And as a guide, you know, literally I've met tens of thousands of people coming to experience Alaska. Uh, and one of the things that older people would often say is, oh, I wish I had done that when I was your age. Or, <laughs> And then there's another one that I want to just throw out there is as a counterpoint, more the pop culture or keeping up with the Joneses. Sometimes people would come up to me and and ask like, oh, what are you going to do when it's time to face the real world? Oh, or I hate that. The reality is, is I'm up here standing on a glacier, part of planet Earth, and I'm like, this is the real world. <laughs> so like... Like when, when are you, when are you going to face the real world? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So there's a lot of... It's really interesting to me how people find define, the, quote, the real world or whatever. So I... It's just an interesting area of study. There's this there's this element that it's not a real job. You know, if you're working as a seasonal tour guide or something like that in a lot of those positions, that was a lot what we heard from a lot of people is like people, yeah, they ask that question, like, when are you gonna get a real job? So interesting. Would you define what you have now as a real job? I don't know. You know, it's a mixed bag. I feel like it's more unstable or it's just more polarizing. So some people are like really respect the fact that I own a company. There's like 17 or so people involved. We have, we're an international business. Um, whereas other people see it as like, uh, you know, as like a risky play or, you know, not stable or whatever. So it, it elicits both reactions. Yeah, absolutely. Do you, do you think that you have a greater fulfillment in what you're doing right now, being able to be remote, travel, spend more time with your family? I'm sure as far as that goes, you would say absolutely so much more fulfillment because you own your time and you own your day. But as far as your work goes, since everything is remote and you don't get to interact one-on-one -on -one in person with your customers, do you still get that same sense of fulfillment in your work as you did when you were a, a dog guide? Um. I would say not the same because as a, you know, just imagine standing on a glacier and a helicopter, uh, <laughs> six helicopters come and a bunch of people jump out and they've traveled all over the world and they couldn't be more excited to s listen to what I have to say and show them with the dogs. Um, there, you can't beat that. It's not like going to the dentist, right? Where the dentist, nobody's happy to see the dentist. 
But at the same time, you know, there's happy customers, there's average customers, there's upset customers in the in the digital product and client services world. It's not the same. I do find that people are a little interesting on the internet in the way that they act or, you know, perhaps they're missing some courtesy and some filter that, you know, we would have in person, you know, because the internet's always on. So that's always a challenge. But I think we do a pretty good job of, you know, setting boundaries and that sort of thing. And there's people that we've helped make hugely successful with their online courses or, um, you know, just give them the tools to get started and they're setting it up on their own and they're so happy. That stuff makes me smile because one of my strengths is I look around and I look at people and I see all this like value trapped inside. And and there's, everybody has something to teach and to share. And that when I help somebody unlock that or get the technology going to facilitate that, it's a really fulfilling thing for me. So I don't know if I completely answered your question. It's not the same as 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 being on a glacier and people say it's not one of the their highlights of their life. But there's definitely a lot of fulfillment in what I do now. Absolutely, you can look at people. I mean, starting businesses using your plot your plugin uh, to create courses that you know help people. And courses are a huge thing right now. That's I've talked about on the podcast, but that's a majority of the way that Alyssa and I have generated revenue over the past year and a half has not been creating our own courses, but filming them for other people who have content and things they would like to teach. And I mean, it's a multi-billion dollar industry. Like everyone and their mom is coming out with courses. Like there's a lot of them. And it's refreshing to hear your take on them because I'm, I'm not going to lie, as somebody who's been filming them and been part of the industry, I can almost get a little bit wore down with them because looking at some people out there that are just creating courses that I, you know, like I'm like, who are they to be teaching that um, from one perspective? And I guess it's the pessimist inside of me, you know, looking at people that's like, Hey, uh, I'll teach you how to start a business and their course that the only thing, the only business they've ever started has been their course on starting a business. I mean, have you experienced that? Yeah, it's a, I mean, it's an interesting industry. There is like a lot of, uh, it's not as bad as SEO, <laughs> but there is a lot of, uh, you know, snake oil out there or just poor quality courses or unqualified. It's not something that, you know, you can fight with open source technology, but it's kind of one of those things, I think, where the, the cream is to the top. I mean, everybody's got the tools if they're if somebody's like paying us to help with like a custom project, they've already achieved some level of success and they're you know they've they have some proven content. But uh, yeah, there there it is a challenging time like in terms of uh, the quality. But you know, there's a lot of people out there in the most obscure niches that you could imagine creating like amazing courses that don't know anything about marketing and. Or technology and that's that's what gets me excited it's not i mean there's a lot of good courses out there about internet marketing or entrepreneurship or success but there's also a lot of that those particular niches are kind of there's a lot of snake oil over there too and that's just a reality of you know the current landscape right yeah but you something that you i mean you've worked a lot with people who are doing organic farming courses and things like that like that's that's a real tangible impact on people putting good food into their body right Absolutely. Yeah. My wife and I started that. It's called organiclifeguru.com. And that's how I got into this whole thing is I wrote a blog post about what I was experiencing with my WordPress LMS site. And that blog post got so much traffic and I started to make some significant 
money off of some uh, WordPress theme affiliate links in there. I wasn't writing it to make money. I was writing it just because I love sharing. But then I realized the demand that people was out there, people wanting to make courses and use technology like WordPress that was cheap or free and approachable. So, uh, yeah, we, so we help uh, people who teach offline about organic gardening and permaculture and organic beekeeping, things like that. Um, we help them, you know, have an online presence and online course. And that's a big part of our income stream is that side project. Very cool. Yeah, that is awesome. Something that I would love to get into. And when I saw when I saw what you guys had done there, it, it was inspiring because something I've been kicking around for a while now has been starting uh, something called the RV Entrepreneur School, which is taking a lot of the uh, things uh, from the people who have been on this podcast. So whether their skill is uh, web design or some or creating online courses like yourself or photography or something like that and kind of partnering up with them to use the skills that we've honed as people who have helped others launch online courses and filming them and trying to produce really high quality content for people that really helps and teach something valuable and be able to provide those resources and say, hey, if you want to be able to, you know, go out and travel full time, you know, here are different courses that you can take to develop skills. You know, it's not going to happen overnight, but here are skills, you know, intro to photography, how, you know, the Holcomb family got started as photographers and teaching some really kind of getting more in depth into some of the tangible skills. And so looking at what you've done, I was like, huh, that actually might be a really good project to, to kind of tinker around with. I think that's that's amazing. I, I truly think there's there's a lot of opportunity there. And um, just the, the ability and the approachability with the technology and the connection we have these days, there's never been a better time because it's not just about you might just be have one online course and you want to teach that and sell it around the world. That's great. But for those entrepreneurs out there like yourself that have a publisher's mindset, you can now if you start curating a bunch of experts you know, that can make an even more powerful niche faster. So if, like one thing I could share on that with uh, uh, Organic Life Guru is I asked my wife, like, well, who's the number one published author in permaculture in the world? And she said, Toby Hemingway. So I sent Toby Hemingway an email and I was like, hey, we, we're doing these online courses. I'd love to come to Washington State and film your next live event and, and uh Basically, all you need to do is say yes and let me know to where to send the check. We'll split the the amount of the sales from this course for the life of the project at, at X percentage. And that's how it started. Um, so, yeah, creating a, a, a marketplace or a just a platform where there's more than just one teacher can be super powerful. Wow, that's very cool. I love I love that you just hopped on a plane and went and filmed him. And you don't have to give me like percentages for him, but for some of the other people you guys worked with, is it a similar arrangement? You guys just do a profit split of the course? That's what I like to do. And I mean, I, I have some background in the affiliate space or whatever, but, um, you know, you can argue like who, where does the value go? Uh, is it the marketer and the LMS platform or the online course platform? Is it the expert uh, really, I see it as a three-legged stool um, where you have to have the expert, then you have to have the platform. And then the third leg is actually where you're at, which I would consider like instructional design, like creating the high quality content. You need all three of that stuff to really make world-class courses. So, I mean, back of the napkin, uh, you know, 33% all the way around there. And for example, we went to Costa Rica to film um, 
a permaculture design course, a two week permaculture design course. I I found somebody in New York, uh, a kid, a younger guy, not a kid, but, you know, early 20s, flew him down, a professional videographer. And then uh, uh, but in terms of editing two weeks of footage, I outsourced that to somebody in Ireland who then gets a commission on the sales. The, the expert gets a commission on the sales and then we have a percentage, too. So. It's important to get creative, especially if you're bootstrapped and you just don't have a ton of money to throw at it to get started. Kind of shifting gears for a second. How long have you guys been on the road for? Right now, just two months. And how has it been so far? It's been excellent. It's been really good. And we were in Montana. Whitefish, Montana is where we were before, right outside of Glacier National Park. And it's been great. You know, it has its challenges. Living in a small space with two little kids has its challenges. Uh, for example, when we set up shop for a while, we actually bring out this giant two-person tent or two-room tent that goes outside to give us more space. We're even traveling with a telescope, like we're studying the stars and the craters on the moon and all that kind of stuff. But so there's like there's good things, and then there's challenging things like the small space or you know stress, like rolling into a place I don't know where we're going to stay tonight, or coming through a big city like Los Angeles or. Las Vegas, pulling a trailer or whatever. But overall, it's a it's a net positive by far. And the reality is, where we were staying in Montana, we we're paying about fifteen hundred dollars a month in rent. Call it two thousand with utilities. That we're actually spending less money on the road. So I think that's an important point for people who are curious about making the jump. Is it is possible to do this for cheaper? And our trailer is a, a brand new trailer. It has, uh, it's basically, I have it on a $200 a month payment plan. And we also got a newer car, to, uh, SUV to pull it, which is about $250 a month. So I went from $1,500 to $500 a month. Wow. And the R-Pods are pretty small and you all have four people in there. Is that kind of crammed? It's tight when we all sleep in there, but we're okay with it. And like I said, we we do have that other tent we set up, and that's one of the lessons I learned when I became a parent is you have to slow way down. So instead of like, you know, being in a new place every night like I did when I was traveling around Europe with my twin brother and went to like 37 different countries or whatever, I'm exaggerating, but <laughs> when we travel, like when we make the jump somewhere, like here we're in Moab, we're gonna, we're here for like at least a week. So we can spread out. We're camped on some BLM land, Bureau of Land Management land. It's beautiful. It's completely free. Uh, it's like this grassy field with mountains around and run, and trails that you can run on and all that kind of stuff. It's amazing. But uh, yeah, it is small, but we, we do like spread out and set up shop. I even have a little uh, canopy I set up for my generator. Uh, which I have to run to keep my equipment charged for running my business. And that's quite the compound when we set it all up. Yeah, I would love to talk, maybe bring you back on the show in a few months and talk about how you've adjusted your work setup and your flow of everything after you've been doing it for a little while longer. Absolutely. Yeah, the last last question I have for you, Chris, is what does success look, look like for you in this lifestyle, working, traveling on the road, running your business and your family? What does that look like? I can answer that right away. And it's because I have a really strong morning routine I do every day. It actually takes about an hour and a half. But the last part of that uh, includes 
just writing out my affirmation, which just means uh, mine is I am wealthy in health, relationships, experiences, and cash. So those four things, having some level of degree of success with those four things is important. And so success to me, uh, I need to be experiencing wins on all four fronts for that to be good. But really, the, the, the income or the cash part is the least important. I mean, obviously, we need to have a certain amount to survive, but I want to see my kids flourishing and loving traveling and seeing all these new places. And they go crazy when they see a new national park. That's, that's success for me. Uh, creating jobs for people all over the world uh, is, I, I love that. I have a full-time developer in uh, um, Idaho and he has a great income and a great job that, you know, that's, that's success for me. Um, and then I have people in developing parts of Eastern Europe and so on that work for me that I've given great jobs and so on. And then I, you know, I get to, I have that morning routine. I meditate this morning before I got up before everybody. And I went on a five mile walk up through the mountains and watched the sun come up over arches. That's success for me. I love it. Thanks so much for being on the show, Chris. Thanks for having me. Also, where can people learn more about uh, everything that you're working on? Probably the best place to go is lifterlms.com. Awesome. Well, thanks again for being on the show, man. All right. Thanks, Heath. Hey guys, thanks for listening to today's show. To grab the show notes from this episode or learn more about Chris's company, Lifter LMS, head on over to heathpaget.com forward slash episode 15. That's episode spelled out and then number 15 at heathpaget.com. Also, to learn more about the free Hurdler app, which Raj mentioned at the beginning of this show, which I highly recommend you check out if you're running any kind of freelance business, go to bnc.lt forward slash RV Entrepreneur. That's bnc.lt forward slash RV Entrepreneur. And I know I just gave you two really long URLs. So if you just want to go to heathpaget.com forward slash episode 15, you can find all the links there as well. This app will allow you to easily track what you owe in taxes throughout the year so you don't have to freak out when you see what you owe in April when it's tax season. And it'll also track all of your various food, coffee, gas, and any other expenses that you accrue while running your business so you know how much you can write off at the end of the year. I'll see you guys next week on the RV Entrepreneur Podcast.